Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Padakamalam Sri Guru Nvaishnamamstha Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahaganaragunatan Vitam Tam Sajeevam Sadvaitam Savadhutam Paritana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahaganadarita Sri Vishakhan Vitamstha Umagyanati Mirandasya Gyanangyana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yenatasmai Sri Gurvenamaha Siddhantot Palasaranityarasika Maham Samvilasatmakam Audaryakya Sudhama Sevadhukadanam Vishrama Bhakti Pradam Yachna Yukti Vichakshanam Vagabido Vaishishta Shakti Asada Mandeham Tripurarinamakayatim Sri Bhakti Vedantinam Manchakalpatrubhyascha Kripasindubhyayavacha Patitanam Bhavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namunamaha Namumahavadanyaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namnega Urtvishenamaha He Krishna Kurunasindho Dinabandho Jagatpate Gupesha Gupika Kantaradha Kanta Namustute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhevrindavanishari Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Haripri Brindaya Itulasi Deviai, Priyaya Ikeshavasita, Krishna Bhakti Pradi Devi Sattivatya Inamunamaha, Panchatatvatmakam Krishnam Bhakta Rupa Swarupaka, Bhaktavatara Bhaktakyam Namami Bhakta Shaktikam, Dayashri Krishna Jaitanya Brabhunityananda, Sriyadvaita Gradhara Shivasrishi Gaura Bhakta Vrinda, Hare Krishna Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Eva Kevalam. Hello, Nasty Eva, Nasty Eva, Nasty Eva, Gatiranyata. Hare Krishna, Dandavat, all devotees. So nice to see so many of you. Gornarayan, Govinda Mohini, Madangopal, Mahapriya. Mehiko, Namarasana, Omkara, Pavana, Radhamadavadasi, Sakirati and Shamananda, Sharada and Vimalangi. And maybe I missed somebody else as well. Dandavats to all of you. I'm really happy to see all of you here. We have reached the second part of uh, this series of uh, Yoga Sutra for devotees. The idea of this series is to give a, a glimpse into this uh, philosophy, one of the six darshanas, shad darshanas of uh, Indian philosophy, uh, to see in which ways uh, we as Gaudiya Vaishnavas can find bridges when uh, speaking about Gaudiya Vaishnavism to people who have some knowledge of, of yoga philosophy to learn something about one of the other uh, main philosophical traditions of India, and also to see in which ways uh, uh, we can learn something through learning about another philosophy, learn something about our own philosophy by seeing the differences and similarities. And finally, the last and perhaps most important part of this uh, series is to see if there are some things in this book that uh, we can apply 
in our own sadhanas as, as bhakti yogis. I'm not going to give a summary of, of last time. All the, the le lectures are recorded, so you can go back and hear that recording if you missed it. But we ended last time with uh, the third sutra or the first chapter uh, of the Yoga Sutra, where Patanjali says, Tada drashtu svarupe vasthanam. At that time, that means when the mind is completely stilled, then the seer abides in his or its own nature. But before going on, I heard from Kali Yuga Pavana Prabhu that there was a question. So maybe we could start with that and then continue from there. But now I can't I can't hear what if you're saying it. Maybe you can put it in the chat. I still can't hear it. Did you click English, Brigu? Yes, I think so. Oh no, now I have English. Okay. Now I hear you, yes. Okay, okay, good. So I misunderstood you, thank you. So, the definition of yoga last time we heard was when the mind is completely stilled, when all the functions or the movements of the mind are stilled. And then the prayojana, the goal, what uh, you're supposed to achieve through this. Patanjali said is at that time, the seer abides in its own nature. And he contrasts that and makes it easier to understand in the next sutra by saying that at other times, this seer or drashtra takes on the form of these mental functions, vrittisarupyam itaratra. Next, Patanjali will go through these different mental functions. We'll wait for, with that for a little while. But the idea is that uh, according to Patanjali, we do not get a clear picture of ourselves because everything that we perceive at the present moment is mediated by the senses and the mind. If I would tell you now, for example, I'm doing this often when I'm speaking to, to a yoga audience, at this moment, I would tell everybody to, to lie down on their back on the floor, close their eyes, relax. Uh, and then I would tell them, don't do anything, just be. And then we just do that for a few minutes. And then I ask them, so Shamananda, did you follow my orders? And probably Shamananda would say, well, I tried to just be, but uh, then all kind of things 
started to come into my head. And I remembered something that happened in the morning. And then I came to think of that I have to go and get some, some vegan milk uh, in the evening. And then I remembered that uh, I still have some homework that I need to do. And then I started wondering what would happen if I would just jump out of school and, and if we would uh, join a circus instead. So what usually happens, according to Patanjali, the author of the Yoga Sutra, is that we don't know who we are because we're so caught up in this kind of mental world that we are in. Our memories, our dreams, our perceptions, our hopes, our fears, all of these things, uh, they fill our head, they fill our heart, and we identify with that. None of this, of course, is foreign to Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy. Gaudiya Vaishnava, Gaudiya Vedanta agrees with all of this. We live now in a kind of false identity. But Patanjali is saying we cannot get to the right identity by thinking. We can't kind of think ourselves out of the problem of false identity. Rather, what we have to do, Patanjali says, is to stop thinking, to stop all mental activity. Because then he thinks the true self can kind of come to the foreground. Like imagine you're standing in front of a mirror and you're trying to see yourself in the mirror, but the mirror is covered by a blue cloth. So you take that cloth to the side, but underneath there's a red cloth. So you take the red cloth aside as well, and then there's the yellow cloth. So you try to take the yellow one, but the blue cloth falls back, and then the red one, and then you never get to see yourself. So the more we're thinking, I may be this, I may be that, the less we kind of understand who we really are. So in Patanjali's system, uh, the way to realize the self is to let all the minds, all the minds activities quiet down gradually. And then only the true self can come to the fore. Patanjali calls this true self, sometimes in the Yoga Sutra, the Purusha. This word for the self, of course, we know from the Bhagavad Gita and indeed the Bhagavad Gita is one of the sources of Patanjali's philosophy. Uh, Purusha, contrasted to Purushottama in the Bhagavad Gita, can, can refer to the individual self. But generally, Patanjali calls the true self, the self that does not take birth, does not grow old, that is eternal. He calls that the drashtar or the seer or the perceiver. And the reason for why Patanjali likes this word, the seer, is that in his philosophy, the true self just does that. It just sees, it watches, it perceives. It doesn't do anything. Now, this also sounds familiar 
to a Gaudiya Vaishnava. I'm sure you remember from the Bhagavad Gita verses like Prakriti Kriyamanani Gunai Karmani Sarvasha Hamkara Vimudhatma Kartaham Itimanyati. The Vimudhatma or the deluded person thinks that I'm the, acti- uh, the, the Karta or the, the person, uh, the agent, the doer, when actually it is the Gunas who are doing everything. Nevertheless, in Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy, Baladeva Vidyabhushana particularly has very forcefully shown that uh, the Atman, the word that usually in Vedanta is used for the true self, does have agency or kartritva. Uh, the Atman can make uh, choices and it can do things. Most of the things we're doing in this world, of course, we're doing through our body and through our mind and through our words and so on. But in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Gaudiya Vedanta, there's the idea that Atman has agency, that Atman can do different things. This is, of course, also what the Bhagavad Gita teaches, even though it has verses like this, like the one I just cited, that sound like there's no agency in the, in the self. Later on in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that there are five different uh, uh, aspects of agency. There's destiny, there's the Supreme Lord, there's karma, but there's also the self. So our agency, our power to do things in this world is in general much smaller than we might imagine, but it is there nevertheless. Not so for Patanjali. In Patanjali's philosophy, uh, he thinks that everything that is happening is actually happening around us. Like I'm sure you've had this experience. You've been waiting for your train at the railroad station to start. And you're sitting there looking out the window and then you see that the train has started moving. until you realize, no, actually we're not moving. It's the train next to us that started moving, just felt like we were moving away. So that's Patanjali's understanding. Everything that is happening is happening around us. But we, through this problem of false identification and attachment, we're attaching ourselves to these uh, uh, movements and thinking that I am doing all these things. Actually, I am just observing. This is an important difference between Patanjali's philosophy and Gaudiya Vedanta. Uh, it's not as huge of a difference as we might think, because of course in, in, in yoga as well, you do all kinds of things, just with the understanding that it's not the true self that is doing it, it's the mind and the body. So uh, from a philosophical perspective, there's a difference. From a practical perspective, not so much. After this, Patanjali then goes through these diff- five different functions of the mind that you're supposed to, to calm down. Uh, this is not so important for us to know all the details, but it is quite interesting to see that uh, just like uh, in Vedanta, 
Patanjali also has three pramanas. Who remembers what the meaning of the word pramana is? Maybe Mitra Prabhu. Do you remember the word pramana? Radha Madhava? No? Shamananda has his hand up, I think. Oh, there. Okay. Pramana means uh, means of knowledge, ways through which we can get knowledge. Uh, and the three pramanas are the same in Patanjali's philosophy as in, in Vedanta. Uh, Vedanta is understood by Jiva Goswami. That is Pratyaksha, sense perception, Anumana, inference, and uh, Jiva Goswami calls the third one Shabda. Patanjali prefers the word uh, um, Agama, but it means the same, scriptural uh, sound or, or authority. Nevertheless, there's a difference here again. In Gaudiya Vedanta and every Vedanta school, the highest form of, of Pramana is Shabda. Because, of course, Anumana or inference or logical thinking uh, is limited. And Pratyaksha as well is limited. We can, uh, we can perceive only particular things. Like I'm sitting here in, in, in a room here in Sri Chaitanya Dham. I can see something out the windows, but uh, I don't know, for example, what my daughter is doing in, a, in another room in the same house. Nevertheless, uh, in Patanjali's philosophy, this order is, in the other, uh, is turned around. For Patanjali, the highest pramana is pratyaksha. Why does he say like this? Sense perception. Well, because for Patanjali, pramana or sense perception is the only uh, pratyaksha or sense perception is the only pramana that can give you uh, detailed knowledge. Like, for example, if I would tell Namarasana now that uh, there's a fire in the neighbor's house here, and, uh, and this fire is a terrible fire. And there are huge flames coming out the windows. And there's a blackish smoke coming out everywhere. People are screaming. There's a dog barking. There are firemen. They are two meters tall and they are spraying water everywhere. You get some kind of a picture of what happened. Don't you, Namarasana? But everything that I said, uh, you have to interpret through your own experiences. So for example, when I say that there are flames, even if I would describe the flames as good as I can, still your picture of the flames would be dependent on what you know about flames from before. So I can just give you general knowledge, but I can't describe to you something that you've never seen before. 
even if I would say that it's a kind of flame that doesn't go upwards, it's a flame that goes downwards. And it's not red, it's, it's uh, and yellow, it's green. And, and it has white spots. Even if I would describe something strange like this that you've never seen, you'd, you'd still interpret it through what you know about things going downwards, spots, and so on. So the only way for Namarasana to actually learn something new about this fire would be to actually experience the fire for herself. Uh, similarly, Patanjali is saying, we can get the best kind of knowledge when we experience it ourselves. Now the problem of course is we don't experience things usually in a clear way, but Patanjali thinks that as humans, we have the potential to do that. Right now, our experiences, experiences are filtered through our minds and our imperfect senses. But he has this idea of something he calls yogi pratyaksha or yogic perception, where you can actually access something as it is. And it's interesting that even though we don't hear about this so much in our Gaudiya Vedanta, Jiva Goswami actually mentions this yogi pratyaksha or vaidusha pratyaksha in his Sarvasambhadini commentary to his own Tattva Sandarbha. So again, some differences, something similar. Now, after having gone through these different functions of the, of the mind or these different movements of the mind, Patanjali divides them into five. They are uh, perception or, or uh, correct information, mistaken information, uh, um, the, the third one uh, you could call maybe like imagination, then there's memories and deep sleep. The question of course that arises is how do you still all of these things? How do you get from this normal state of mind where the mind is thinking about all kinds of things? How do you go from there to a mind that is completely still? Or if not completely still, at least focused on one point. This last thing is important. We'll get back to this in a little while. How do you get there? The answer that Patanjali gives is exactly the same answer that Krishna gives uh, towards the end of the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, when Arjuna asks him the qu same question. Maybe you remember from your reading of the Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter, Krishna is telling about the yoga of meditation, dhyana yoga, and he describes it in a very beautiful way. He says that the, the yogi is like a, like a candle, unmoving candle in a, in a room without any draft, giving out light, giving out heat, but unmoving, still peaceful. And Arjuna basically says, yeah, this sounds really good, but how? How can you control the mind? The mind is unsteady and it's powerful. Trying to control the mind is like trying to control the winds in the sky. Who remembers what Krishna says? How does Krishna answer? Madan Gopal, do you remember? What's Krishna's answer? 
Are you there, Madame Gopal Prabhu? Krishna says, by, by Abhyasa and Vairagya. Oh, he's driving. Okay. By Abhyasa and Vairagya. By practice and detachment. This is exactly the same answer that Patanjali gives. Abhyasa Vairagya Abhyam Tannirodha. These mental functions can be stilled by practice and detachment. And then, as is typical for the Sutra style of writing, Patanjali next then uh, describes both of these two, what he means by practice and what he means by detachment. And this is an important point, and this is something that applies not only to the, to the path of yoga, but to every spiritual path. We need two kinds of forces. Abhyasa, or practice, is the force of going forward, pushing forward. Getting up in the morning when you feel like, uh, it's so nice and soft and warm in the bed. To get up. To do your rounds when you feel like they taste nothing. I don't want to do it. But to still, okay. I'm holding my japa mala in my hand, now I'm going to focus. Or when you feel like, I don't know if I want to do this today. I'm not so sure. Maybe I will have a break. No. Abhyasa is kind of like a figurative stick that we sometimes need to hit ourselves with. Brigupada. Stop being such a lazy bum. Get up. Push forward. Sometimes we need this kind of uh, exhortions. I have a, a, a boss, a new boss at work, and uh, he can be a little bit of a bully. But every time that he, he bullies me, and that happens maybe twice a year or something, so it's not very bad. But every time that he does it, it actually always leads to something good. I hate it when he does it. But when he does it, I do something new that I, I was that was kind of outside of my comfort zone or something, and I'm happy afterwards. So sometimes we need this kind of bullying voice. It doesn't need to be a boss or anything like that. It can be our own kind of higher self telling us, move on, stop being lazy. We do not advance in spiritual life just by sitting back and relaxing and thinking that, yeah, I think Bhava maybe will come after 10 lifetimes. Uh, no point in burning yourself out. Let's just be balanced, take it easy. We do need to push forward. But just as much as we need that, and perhaps even more, we also need the opposing force. If Abhyasa or practice pushing forward is one. The other one is vairagya or detachment. So let's say you try to do your japa really nicely. You sit down, you've done everything that you're supposed to, you've just listened to this japa reform workshop, 
and you're fired up and you want to do everything correctly, you, you uh, prepare, you take your japa mala in the hand, you say a beautiful prayer, and you start Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and then you find your mind wandering everywhere. And afterwards you feel like, I'm a total failure. Then you should say to yourself, okay, Brigupada, that wasn't too good, but that's okay. Tomorrow, I'll try again. So you need to have this kind of power to, to let go. When you feel like you, it didn't turn out so well, just let go. That's okay. I forgive you. Try, to, try again next time. And when you fail the second, the third, the 998th time, that's okay. Try again tomorrow. But the point is, try again tomorrow. Not that we simply let go. We let go and we try. So we need these both powers. And the ability to let go is even more important in the cases that we actually succeed with something. Let's say we sit down, we take our japamala in the hand, we do our rounds and we feel, wow, amazing. I really felt the sweetness of the holy name. There was so much nectar in those two syllables, Krishna, like Rupa Goswami says. Even then we need to say to ourselves, that's okay. Tomorrow we try again. Because otherwise, if we attach ourselves to a particular experience, we're just going to be disappointed the next time because no experience is the same as another one. Maybe it will be even nicer tomorrow. We can never know that unless we let go of the experience we have today. So this idea of two kind of keys to uh, succeeding in yoga, whether it is Patanjali's yoga or Bhakti yoga. Uh, this is a very important teaching that we can, we can learn from the Yoga Sutra as well. Practice and detachment. Uh, both of them need to be in place. And perhaps, depending, I mean, on, on our nature and depending on how far we have, have gotten in our spiritual life, for some people, detachment will be even more important. I'm a lazy, uh, stupid man, so I need to, to hit myself with the stick quite often. But I know plenty of people who, rather than that, they just need to let go. They're already giving 150% of themselves all the time. Here in Finland, for example, this country is full of women who think that if they don't give 150% of themselves every single day, their children will die of hunger, their husbands will uh, get lost in some pub, their workplace will go under, all of society will be destroyed if they do not personally all the time give 150%. And this is a huge burden, of course, for those people, it's a huge burden. So they certainly don't need any more sticks on their backs. They provide them quite plentifully themselves. Rather, these people, they need to learn to get let go instead. 
So finding a balance between these two can be quite challenging. Now, after all of this, Patanjali uh, speaks a little bit more about the, the, the spiritual path and the two kinds of samadhi or concentration that he has been implying so far. Yoga or samadhi, these two words, they mean the same for Patanjali. He defined yoga, that is samadhi, as uh, uh, when the mind is completely stilled. This was one important thing that I spoke about last time. That yoga can be defined in so many different ways, but in Patanjali's yoga philosophy, this is the definition of yoga. A perfectly stilled mind. And the mind can be stilled in two different ways. It can be stilled either in such a way that it's completely empty of content. That's when the, the purusha or the true self can come out. Or then that can happen also when the mind is stilled by focusing it on a particular object. And he goes through these two different forms of samadhi or yoga. Uh, he says that yoga is closest for those who are very uh, actively engaged, that are very determined. He goes through some other things that are important on the path. And then he says, Ishvara Pranidhanad Va. This is about the 20th, maybe 23rd sutra of the first chapter. This is a very important uh, Sutra, especially for, for speaking about bhakti to yogis, because this is where bhakti comes into the Yoga Sutra. Patanjali himself doesn't use the word bhakti, but the first commentator, Vyasa, who, as I mentioned last time, probably was Patanjali himself, he says that this that he calls Ishvara Pranidhana is one kind of bhakti. Ishvara Pranidhana means... Uh, 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 contemplation on Ishvara or absorption in Ishvara or even in some translations surrender to Ishvara. Now, just like many of these other terms, yoga, drashtra, and so on, Ishvara is a term that can have many different meanings in Sanskrit literature. Uh, Ishvara, we, as Gaudias, we usually uh, identify with Krishna, like in Brahma Samhita, Ishvara Paramakrishna, Satchidananda Vigraha. But Ishvara can mean other things as well. Ishvara can be a name for Shiva. Ishvara can mean a king. Like in, in Sanskrit dramas, kings are always called Ishvaras. So in order for the reader not to become confused after saying that uh, uh, this uh, contemplation on Ishvara is another way of reaching this perfection of yoga or samadhi, full concentration. Patanjali then goes into defining what he means by Ishvara. And it's quite important to realize that Patanjali spends quite some time dealing with Ishvara. The main thing in today's yoga, of course, is asana, 
or the bodily uh, possessions. Out of the 192 sutras in the Yoga Sutra, three sutras deal with asana. Three. One, two, three sutras with asana. So it's a very small thing in Patanjali's system. It's there, but it's, as we will see later on, it's, it's a stepping stone on the way to something else. About Ishvara, he uses uh, many more sutras, especially since this Ishvara Pranidhana is a topic that he deals with in three different places of the Yoga Sutra. Here, in the middle of the first chapter, in the beginning of the second chapter, and again uh, towards the end of the second chapter. So it's clearly an important thing for Patanjali. In this context, he says that you can reach perfection in yoga uh, also through Ishvara Pranidhana. Ishvara Pranidhana, the va, va means or, it's given as an alternative. But in the other places where he mentions Ishvara Pranidhana, it's not an alternative. It's rather, it is an integral part of the yoga paths described in those places. So Ishvara Pranidhana. Who is this Ishvara? Patanjali defines Ishvara first as a, a special Purusha that is uh, untouched by Klesha and Karma and the reactions of Karma. Klesha Karma Vipaka Shayar Aparamrishta Purusha Vishesha Ishvara. Ishvara is a special kind of Purusha. So by this saying that Ishvara is a special kind of Purusha, he is uh, saying that uh, there's something similar between Ishvara and us, but there's also something different. And the difference is that, that Ishvara is free, not afflicted by karma, by different uh, problems, kleshas, like the other purushas. So then the reader might wonder, okay, what else? And then he says, in Ishvara, the seed of omniscience is unsurpassed. So all of us have some knowledge, and this knowledge can be increased in different ways. But the one that is omniscient, the one that knows everything, literally knows everything, that is Ishvara. And then he says, Ishvara is also the teacher of the ancient ones, because Ishvara is not limited by time. And that's an important sutra, because it teaches us that uh, Ishvara is not something that you can become that let's say uh, Radha Madhava is uh, doing a lot of sadhana and a lot of different uh, spiritual practices and then she becomes Ishvara at the end. That's not what Patanjali is saying. Ishvara is a special kind of Purusha that is not afflicted by time. So there's no time when Ishvara wasn't Ishvara. There's no time when Ishvara will not be Ishvara anymore. And then finally, Patanjali says, 
Ishvara's uh, designator or Ishvara's name is Om. Again, all of these things that Patanali is saying are things that we can find in the Bhagavad Gita. There also, Om is identified with uh, uh, Ishvara or with God. And the word Ishvara is used there, of course. Krishna is, is called uh, Parameshvara or the highest Ishvara. All of these other things that, that Patanjali uh, says to define Ishvara, you'll find in the Bhagavad Gita. But of course, there's a big difference. And that is that Patanjali never says that Ishvara's name is Krishna or Ishvara is blue or Ishvara has two arms and a flute or Ishvara, Ishvara's name is Shiva or Ishvara has four arms or anything like that. Rather, he tries to keep this Ishvara idea open to different kinds of, of, of feelings, different kinds of interpretations. He's giving kind of a general definition of God so that different types of yogis can find their own Ishtadevata, their own beloved Lord within this system. And this is an important point because Patanjali lived in a time that was uh, uh, religiously very pluralistic. In Patanjali's time, uh, there were Buddhists, there were Jains, there were many different types of or what we today call Hindus, that are all kind of competing in the spiritual marketplace, as it were. So he's not taking part in this kind of interreligious uh, fighting. Rather, he's trying to create a spiritual path that will work for everybody. But the downside with that, of course, is that the detail will be very, the amount of detail will be very small. Guru Maharaj writes very nicely about this in Aesthetic Vedanta, uh, quoting the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that when you engage in a kind of spirituality which is perennial, which you try to get to fit everybody, you need to leave away so much detail that you may end up with something that is quite lifeless. And indeed, this is the criticism that has been leveled against Patanjali as well, that in his uh, desire to be so kind of neutral, his theism becomes almost like a quasi-theism. This criticism of Patanjali uh, was uh, given by nobody else than Shankaracharya in his commentary to the, to the Brahma Sutras, where he criticizes other philosophies, including the philosophy of Patanjali. Nevertheless, uh, as bhaktas speaking to people who have some background in yoga philosophy, this is still a good opening because we can easily get Krishna to fit into the, the conception of Ishvara as understood by Patanjali. And it's also important to see that Patanjali is... Uh, is not a monist. He doesn't believe that Ishvara is, is you and me. He doesn't believe that you can become Ishvara. So even though he's lacking the kind of detail that you'll find in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu or other texts like that, his text is actually in some ways quite close to Gaudiya 
Vedanta when it comes to his conception of, of the Supreme Being. Then the rest of the, the first chapter uh, begins with, or, or it continues with different kinds of practices. The first practice that he recommends, and which is kind of the, the typical practice of Ishvara Pranidhana or, or contemplation on Ishvara, is repeating the mantra Om. Tadjapastadarthabhavanam, he writes, to recite Om and to contemplate on its meaning. The syllable Om, of course, is uh, the syllable of the Vedas. Krishna says, I think in the seventh, in the beginning of the seventh chapter in the Gita, it says that uh, of all the sounds of the Vedas, I am the syllable Om. Om is described in different Vedic texts in different ways, often in quite fascinating ways. For example, it is said in the Chandogya Upanishad that if you close your ears like this, The sound that you hear is Om. Maybe you need to have a little bit of imagination, but uh, the, the idea of course is that it's, it's this kind of internal vibration that pervades us. In the same passage of the Chandogya Upanishad, it is also said that the sound that the sun makes when the sun rises in the sky, that's Om. So you can go outside tomorrow and try to listen to the sun. Unfortunately, I'm such a Kali Yuga person that I don't hear any, any sound when, when the sun rises in the sky. But I like the idea very much that Om is something that is within us and it's something that is without us as well. And of course, uh, we would agree with Patanjali that Om is a name of Krishna, kind of an impersonal Again, not very, very rasic or very, very kind of descriptive name of Krishna, but it is a name of Krishna. And as a mantra, of course, it's a very good mantra because it's very simple. In every language, you have the sounds O and M. Uh, very simple to say, very easy to say. And... Uh, uh, you can do japa of this mantra uh, without any big training or anything like that. But still, even though it's so simple, the idea is that God is there. So this comes very close to our idea, of course, of, of the unity between uh, the name of God and the named God, or the unity between Nama and Nami. Patanjali agrees with this. In the commentary, there's, there's discussion about this, how most sounds, most words are conventional. If we would decide now that uh, this thing that most people call a mobile phone, if we would decide here together that this is actually called a bruba, that's a bruba this thing here. Then if we would repeat it a few times, then everybody would know that 
that's a bruba. So we just make it up and as long as there's enough people who know this, then it kind of works. So most people think that this is what language is. Language is just conventional. You, you decide, you get used to it. And uh, after a while, everybody knows that uh, lol means a particular thing that uh, uh, my grandmother had no idea what that, that word is, but now everybody knows what lol is or ruffle or things like that. But Patanjali says, and again, Gaudiya Vedanta would agree, there are exceptions to this. And those exceptions are the, the sounds of the Vedas. There are words that are directly linked to their meaning. And this is particularly, of course, evident in the names of God. Like uh, uh, Prabhupada's example, that if you're thirsty and you're saying water, 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 it will not help you at all, because water and the word water is different. But Krishna and Krishna as a supreme being is actually the same. And we can... Uh, be in touch with him through his name. So again, this is a point where yoga philosophy and Gaudiya Vedanta uh, are saying the same. Even though Patanjali doesn't speak about the name Krishna, but the idea is there. Om and God is the same. So again, we can find some common ground here. After this, after giving this uh, practice of meditating on Om, then he gives other practices and uh, uh, of different types. Some of these practices are, most of them are meditative, like different things to meditate on. You can calm the mind, you can, you can clear the mind by meditating, for example, on uh, uh, the peaceful light within the heart, or you can meditate on a, on a calm and passionless mind, or you can calm the mind by controlling your breathing. This is something that many of us kind of know even otherwise. If you're very upset, then better to breathe a few times before you do something. Uh, or then you can calm the mind also by observing your social relationships. This is the last thing I'm going to speak about today, but this is uh, an important teaching that Patanjali gives in the 33rd Sutra. We can uh, direct four different kinds of emotions to four different kinds of objects. The first of these four objects is uh, if we see that somebody is happy, somebody around us, you see somebody around us is happy. We should cultivate friendship towards that person. Friendship in the sense of, of feeling happy for that person and uh, uh, not feeling uh, jealous. Why is Sakirati so happy? I'm sure she did something bad to make her so happy or, or she's just pretending in 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 
in Finnish culture, there's a saying that there's no real happiness without alcohol. So she can't really be happy. No, that's a way to just make yourself miserable. Instead, to cultivate friendliness, to cultivate uh, joy when we see somebody else happy. When we see somebody else uh, uh, suffering, to cultivate compassion. This is particularly important on in the spiritual path, because in the spiritual path, and this applies again to both yoga and bhakti, uh, we have kind of tools that teach us the reason for why somebody is sad. Uh, basically, the answer, of course, is karma. That uh, uh, Shamananda uh, stayed up much too late at night. He had a, uh, a pizza at half past 11 in the evening. And now he's supposed to do his japa early in the morning and he can't focus. And he's unhappy, but it's his fault because he stayed up too late and he had the pizza. It's because of his karma. And this kind of idea of karma can make us hard-hearted. It can make us think that, well, that's her fault, that's his fault, it's none of my business. But Patanjali is not saying that. He's saying whenever we encounter uh, dukkha or, or suffering, we should consciously cultivate compassion. Yes, in this example, and forgive me, Shamananda, for using you as the example. In this example, it was his own fault. But still, we can feel compassion. Anybody who has a child will rec recognize this. Like you tell a small child that's running around like crazy and, and, and uh, being full of energy. Don't run around like this. You're going to get hurt. And the child just says, yes, yes, mommy and continues running and falls on its nose and starts crying. Now, if you're not a superhuman parent, but an ordinary parent, then probably you'll first say to the child, what did I say? But then nevertheless, you'll take the child in the lap and, and brush the dust off it and ask if you, if, if you can give a plaster and little one, it's not so bad, let me see, and so on. So even though the parent knows that it's the child's own fault, still the parent will feel compassion. So similarly, uh, we can always consciously uh, uh, cultivate this feeling of compassion with uh, so, uh, suffering. And when, thirdly, Patanjali says, when we see that somebody is virtuous, punya, when somebody has some virtuous quality, when we see that uh, 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 Radha Madhava is uh, doing something really nicely, for example, then instead of trying to find fault with that or thinking that, yeah, she's doing that really nicely, but who knows what bad things she's doing secretly. Uh, again, to find joy. Wow, beautifully how she's doing these things. Even in a person that you don't really like, you can do this. You can focus on the good quality in this person. Wow. He is so good with uh, doing whatever he promises. 
He always keeps his promises. That's amazing, for example. And finally, when we see somebody being apunya or, or the opposite of virtues, being uh, full of vice or having a, uh, some, some bad qualities, we should cultivate upeksha uh, or, or overlooking that, to not focus on that. Unless, of course, it's a person that is somehow under our responsibility, like a child or a student or somebody like that, that it's your duty to, to teach. But otherwise, let me, let me not get involved with that. Uh, like Trump, for example. Here in Finland, and we never as a country had any problem doing with business with the US, regardless of who was the president. Nevertheless, during Trump's presidency, every single day there was something in the media about something stupid he had done. Uh, and lots of people, every day they would discuss it. Have you heard what he said? Belgium is a beautiful city. Have you heard what he did? And it didn't help him at all that everybody was discussing his failings. He didn't know what people in Finland were discussing about him. Uh, so it did no good to him. And it certainly did no good to these people who were just uh, putting their minds in somebody else's failings. Like the Gaudiya Vaishnava Acharyas say, it's better to be a bumblebee than a fly. Don't be a fly be a bumblebee. Go for the nectar, don't go for the stool. So this is some of the teachings of the first chapter of the Yoga Sutra. Uh, next time I'm going to go more into uh, the practical side of Patanjali's yoga, more of the, the, the systematic practice, some of the things that will come up in the, in the second chapter. But are there, any, are there any questions on the topics that I've been going through today? Haribo. Haribo. <laughs> uh, just a small question about uh, Sanskrit terms. So you said pramana means uh, way of knowing. Because I've always heard it just mean evidence. So when someone say, so when someone says, "Can you give some praman?" Is that correct or is that a loose way of? Yes, no, it, you can use it like that as well. But uh, generally, it it refers to 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 to, to ways of knowledge of, of knowing things. Uh, what in in Western philosophy is called epistemology. And uh, uh, not all Indian philosophers agree with these three, actually in, in some Vedantic schools as well, there, there's more of them. Uh, but uh, as, as, as Gaudiya Vedantists, we're accustomed to, to hearing about these three. Uh, but yes, you can use the term in, in that way as well. Do you, have any, do you have any evidence for this? Do you have any pramana?
Okay. Bhagupad Prabhu, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to get my video to come on. Um, I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. Uh, this, this. I think you're on. I am. I can think, you I think I see you. Oh, okay. I can't see myself. Okay. So I just wanted to share that I was really appreciated, appreciating your talk. It was so um, inspiring and helpful. And I especially appreciated the parts about um, <clears throat> practice and detachment when chanting Japa. Like one day it would be good and maybe not the next day, but to be okay with that. And um, also I appreciated how to have joy towards um, someone that's wonderful and not to be envious and to have compassion for those that are suffering and also also always to um yeah to glorify those who are virtuous and to find the good in them and then to not look for the bad in someone or to to say things that are bad about someone i appreciated that very much thank you very much this means this means a lot for me to hear this thank you oh. thank you also can you see me yes I've been trying to comment, but we have two systems on and they just start echoing and um, and I've been working, building cabinets, painting. But uh, just last night we read in the second canto, Prabhupada, he went through the sadarshans, all of the different acharyas for each darshan, including Patanjali, and he just categorically said they're all wrong and they're all rascals and i think he even used the word demonic it was like really strong language he was saying only shukadev goswami only vyasadev have it right um so it was nice to hear patanjali's side and yeah he's in he's incomplete but he said says a lot of good things and i'm guilty of that also of trying to make it so wide uh, to approach such a wide audience that you can't really say very much. You can't be very specific. But I'd never heard that before about Patanjali. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I very much I appreciate it. And, and of course, and of this, course is a, this is, a, this is a, a, a problem for every preacher that you, you try to find kind of uh, common ground with the people you're speaking with, uh, but then to introduce something, something new. And uh, uh, it can be quite, quite challenging, of course. And I've, I've been trying in this, this series, one of the things I've been trying to do is to, to show some of these kind of openings uh, where we can uh, we can speak with somebody who, who has appreciation for Patanjali's philosophy and, and show how Bhakti Yoga can actually take some of the things that Patanjali are saying, but take them to the next level. Like his idea of, of the connection between the name and the named of Om and, and, and God. Uh, we agree with it, but we have so much more to say. So that, that's one of the things uh, I've, I've been trying to kind of uh, point out here. And of course, Prabhupada is completely right in the, when he's saying that. I don't remember that part in the second canto. 
compared to Shukadeva Goswami, all of these other rishis, uh, they are incomplete at best. There are also some things that Patanjali says that we wouldn't agree with. I haven't gotten uh, so much into that. I mentioned this thing about Kartritva, but there are some other things as well that we wouldn't agree with. But I'm not so much focusing on them. I'm trying more to focus on, on things that we would agree with and also on things that, that I think can be useful for us, like this, uh, these four different ways of relating to, to, to qualities in people around us. And of course, we can also take it to another step, four different ways of relating to ourselves. Because definitely we have happiness, suffering, vice and virtue within ourselves as well. And, and uh, how to deal with ourselves as incomplete, imperfect beings can be quite a challenge in itself. So thank you. And, and uh, it means a lot to hear that. Yeah, also hearing about Pratyaksha being his main evidence. Um, so that's helpful if, if we meet some yoga people, we can talk with them on that platform and say, yeah, Bhagavad Gita, Machchita, Madgata, Prana, Bodhayantakara, Tayantashama, Tushi, Pratyaksha, Vagaman, Dharmyam, Susukam, Kartamavyayam. Krishna uses the same word in Bhagavad Gita that we get some pratyaksha by doing this. Yes, and I think, yes, that's, and I think that's, that, that's an extremely important point because many people have the idea that religion is about the next world. That uh, if you engage in religion, you're doing that because you want to get uh, a bright crown after death or something like that. The more you suffer in this life, the better your next life your will next be. Life will be. And uh, these kind of verses, they're very important in, in showing us that, well, maybe that will happen, but in order for it to be a real spiritual path, the results should be visible, Pratyaksha, more or less immediately. Otherwise, you're doing something wrong. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. So I think we're out of time. But thank you, everybody, again, for participating. Uh, many more people came on after I, I greeted you. So again, I offer my humble dandavats to all of the beautiful Vaishnavas here. Uh, I hope to see you uh, next week and also during the week in all the different uh, classes that are, are arranged every single day. Jai Shri Shri Guru Gauranga Gandharika Giridhari Shri Shri Radha Madhan Mohan Radha Govinda Radha Gopinatha Radha Ramanda Radha Shamsundar Radha Ramanda Radha Gokulananda Radha Madhava Radha Gopalamitai Go Shri Shalbuj Giridhaji Ki Jai Jai Yomishnu Parvang Sipravraj Kacharya Stotrashtu Shri Shimad Bhaktivedanta Tripurari Deko Swamaraj Lugurde Ki Jai Jai Nithle Pravishtam Shri Pad Abhayachan Radha Vinda Bhaktivedanta Swamaraj Lugurde Ki Jai 
join it liberation Joy Krishna Das Kavrad Goswam Rajki Jai Jai Biasavatashi Brindaman Das Takurmashaiki Jai Jai Shishi Rupasanatana Batraganata Shiji Gopalabatra Shoganachot Kushwam Prabhuki Jai Jai Namacharishla Haradasta Kurki Jai Jai Rai Ramanandari Gaur Pashta Vindiki Jai Joy Primsukoshi Krishna Jaitan Pramitan and Rashi Advaita Gradara Shivasarishi Gaur Bhakti Vindiki Jai Jai Shri Antarvip Maya Purshim Antarvip Maya Dvip Poladvip Prithudu Janadvip Maya Dvip Motaradvip Kodumadvip Prithudupatmaka Shri Navadvip Dham Ki Jai Jai Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopakubha Gopavaradana Dvadashvanatmaka Shri Vrindavan Dham Ki Jai Dvadashopaman Ki Jai Jai Shamkun Radakunda Yamanaganga Bhakti Tulasadevi Ki Jai Jai Shri Purushottam Dham Ki Jai Jai Shri Jagannath Balarik Subhadra Sudarshana Ki Jai Jai Bhakti Vigna Vinashna Karshin Shingade Bhagavan Ki Jai Jai Bhakti Varavara Pralad Maharaj Ki Jai Jai Char Vaishnava Sampradaya Ki Jai Char Vaishnava Chara Ki Jai Char Dham Ki Jai Char Vira Ki Jai Jai Patanjali Rishi Ki Jai Jai Karamatarar Shri Chaitanamat Ki Jai Tariya Shakamatusuma Ki Jai Shri Chitana Sangha Ki Jai Anandakudu Vaishnava Rindi Ki Jai Bhuvan Mangal Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Samagata Gaur Bhakti Rindi Ki Jai Gaur Premanande Hari Hari Bhoor